0: Technology often runs ahead of legislation, and the European institutions are doing their very best to catch up. In today's world, online news aggregators and social media platforms play an ever-increasing role in the way that news, articles, videos, music, and even paintings and pictures are accessed and shared all over the globe. That's why, last September 12th, the European Parliament approved the European Union Directive on Copyright in the Digital Single Market. The vote came after months of heated debates. Originally proposed by the European Commission in 2016, this directive aims at bringing the relevant legislation up to speed with digital developments across the EU. The European institutions are worried that European right holders and creators are not getting their fair share of the profits that online platforms make when allowing for their original works to be accessed, shared and distributed online. The directive also aims at making platforms directly responsible for the legality of the content uploaded by their users. Now, however, different groups have voiced out serious concerns. They fear that the costs and the unintended consequences might outweigh the benefits. The criticism came not only from EU parliamentarians, but also from tech leaders and small entrepreneurs. The criticism was so strong that it caused an earlier version of the copyright directive to be rejected at the European Parliament in July, sending it back to the Legal Affairs Committee for amendments. The version approved by the Parliament last September is now being discussed and negotiated in a trilogue between the European Parliament, the European Commission and the European Council. A decisive vote in the European Parliament to approve the final version of the Directive is expected in early 2019. Now, similar reforms at the national level have backfired before in Germany and Spain. With a directive at the EU level, to later be incorporated into the national legislations of the EU member states, the stakes and the implications are much higher today. One thing is certain. The directive will change the way that the Internet operates, not only in Europe, but in the rest of the world. Tune in to EU Untangled.
1: Today, we have a very interesting episode lined up. It's on the European Union Directive on Copyright in the Digital Single Market. There have been a lot of vocal defenders of this piece of legislation and some criticism to it. So in order not to get confused and to be able to untangle this issue in the best possible way, we decided to approach... The person who has been behind a good part of this uh, directive, and that person is Axel Voss, who is or was the rapporteur for the EU copyright directive, uh, meaning he was a person in charge of carrying out the consultation with the different political groups, with the experts organizing hearings and drafting the text of the legislation. Mr. Voss, thank you for being here and welcome to the show.
2: Yeah, welcome you. <laughs> thank, thank you. you.
1: So I guess the first question that we would like to make is the most general one. What is this EU copyright directive that has made a lot of noise, not only inside the European Union and Europe, but also abroad? What is it regulating?
2: So the directive and the proposal of this directive um, is... Worldwide, probably the first legislation or piece of legislation what is regulating the Internet a little bit. So we are focusing on platforms. Um, we have seen after the implementation of the so-called e-commerce directive um, around 2000 that the platforms have developed um, immense and uh, in a direction where we are now facing a lot of copyright infringements. So, if we were to think about
1: the final beneficiaries of this directive, who would you say these are?
2: Um, What we are trying to do at first is to get a better situation for the digital world. That means also educational issues and uh, cultural heritage issues. But on the other hand, if we are looking to the most emotional, discussed articles, this is Article 11 for the press publishers and also Article 13 for all the authors and performers. So what we are trying to achieve to get a better eye level for all these creators to negotiate with the Platforms better, their copyright protected works. I would like to know a little bit more how we
1: got here. Like, what led us to this moment? Why now? And if there
2: was anyone behind this reform, who pushed for it? Of course, um, at first, the right holders and also the publishers, but also we have seen that the new technology is creating a lot of different situations where we have. To think about how we can regulate this better. So if you're thinking about cross-border teaching for instance, so we have already in place some uh, universities who are doing this cross-border, that's why we need for copyright um, some elements and some criterias to make it very clear what to do if this is um, a new way of, of teaching. And uh, that's why what we have in mind. So of course this is affecting not really the right holders and not really all the industry um, if we are coming to article 4 or 5 means uh, teaching cross-border teaching or this cultural heritage um, situation um, what's more affecting others is uh, the article 11 and the article 13 because we are trying here to Get this better eye level situation at first for press publishers in Article 11, and that they can also a claim for some fair remuneration from the platforms who are using these articles and uh, probably also making also money out of it but not giving something back and we have the same situation in article 13 what we are calling the so-called value gap um, this means yes the platforms um, where a user can upload everything what they would like to upload Um, that they are using these uploads for attracting more traffic on their platforms, probably earning more money, but not giving back again something to the authors or performers or singers, artists and whatever. When you mention platforms,
1: who are you referencing by platforms?
2: Could you give us some examples? Yeah. Um, At first, this directive is a legal instrument for the member states we are asking the member states to implement something what where we are having some uh, put some pillars in our text now we are trying to find if if we are coming to platforms at first we uh, try to approach this differently than what we have in place now and what we have now in place is a kind of a definition in article 2 this belongs to article 13 and uh, article 2 is or the definition of article 2 gives you an impression what platforms we are meaning and everyone who should be affected by this definition will have a business model in place. What they are knowing is copyright protected works on the platforms. And uh, there are a large amount of works on, on the platforms. And they make profit out of it. They are storing, they are giving access to others. So uh, with other words, they are communicating to the platforms with copyright protected works. Everything what we are asking for is what the European Court of Justice has already judged on. So this is nothing more and nothing less. We are saying active platforms on copyright-protected works are liable and therefore they should license. And therefore um, they need something in place probably to detect it. This sounds like an
1: unprecedented piece of legislation worldwide. And it reminds me a little bit of all the efforts that the European Union has been making to tackle and regulate very big and powerful tech companies.
2: Would you say this goes in that direction? This has not the same intention um, to tackle big tech Companies. Um, this is more just really for the right holders to give them a possibility to get something back from their works, what they have created. It's their property, and other are using these and not paying back something or fair remunerating something for this. Right. And this is the the intention. How we are coming up in a digital world with copyright, what we have already in place and what is uh, giving them a property right. And uh, so therefore, of course, we are coming to the kind of question and saying, is the definition of property in the offline world the same than in the online world? And uh, this is why we are thinking about how to improve copyright law or how we can enforce copyright law in the digital world.
0: I was just thinking because uh, you're saying that this is about making the tech giants or let's say the the sharing platforms give back the remuneration that the publishers and the content creators uh, deserve. And I don't think that anybody disagrees with that. I mean, this is a real issue. We've been debating it for a long time now. How do you... Uh, recreate copyrights from the real real world, like you said, and in the online world. But is there not a, an easier way to get the tech giants to remunerate to the publishers? Let's say rather than regulate the internet. Like, were there other possibilities on the table to fix this problem rather than having, let's say, the the articles eleven and thirteen.
2: There are some different ideas or have been on the table, but at the end you need majorities in a democratic, structured parliament. And uh, this might then create some problems and therefore some ideas are kind of a no-go then, because you won't have the majorities for it. Um, So if we are thinking about the Article 11, for instance, there had been the idea of kind of a presumption clause. Mm. But then again, thinking about the situation of a day-by-day situation, millions of articles, and they are used by someone, not even knowing who might this be at the end, then coming out with a presumption, what everyone can challenge, if this is really so, and this is not a practical way, ahead for the press publishers in such a way so there has been the idea of um, being tax funded but then we have the, the question of an independent press still and this again it doesn't seem a kind of a good idea at the end um, also if we are thinking about these tax funding and you, you can also argue then we can give Google and uh, Facebook and all the other platforms who are using these th- directly the money and uh, they can remunerate these mm-hmm. business models. But this is not the way we would like to have a situation where you are creating a product, other are using these and paying for these and this should be the way ahead also in an online world. But now, of course, it's um, getting difficult to regulate to for the enforcement of all these, um, not to hinder at the end innovation, but also trying to balance the situation for press publishers and platforms if they are dealing uh, or coming together for joint partnership or something like this.
1: When we talk about this transition from the print to the digital world, because that is what kind of like created this problem that we're facing today. So in the print world before, like decades ago, there was a pretty standard way of making sure that publishers and right holders got this remuneration that you're talking about. Now that a lot of things are digital and online, it is more difficult to keep track of who is uploading what, sharing what, and reading what. And therefore, some of these rights might get lost in the way. And perhaps this is a good moment to talk a little bit more about Article 11, labeled by some people as the link tax. What it talks about is giving publishers the right to obtain fair and proportionate remuneration for the digital use of their press publications by information society providers or these platforms that we have been talking about. On the one hand, publishers, they're saying, well, if our articles are going to be shown on these large platforms or news aggregator websites, and they're giving already away some information of the content of that article... That means that a lot of people will not click on that link and go to our websites. So we will not get the traffic and therefore will not benefit from, let's say, for instance, any advertising revenues or any advertising deals that we may have. We want to encourage people to do exactly that, to go to our websites. And that way, we will get the benefits stemming from these online agreements that we have with a uh, Advertisers. Now, Article 11, by giving publishers this right, is to a certain extent limiting the way that these snippets to articles are shown on certain platforms. And that is some of the criticism that people have put forward. How do we address this issue? How do we make sure, for instance, that traffic to these websites is actually not limited by not publishing this information
2: there? We have to have in mind that the press publisher situation it's getting worse and if you're looking to the assessment of the commission or if you're looking also to my regional uh, parliament, so in North Rhine-Westphalia um, they have numbers and, and figures and there you can exactly see this is decreasing and if you would like to have a kind of an independent press at first, also independent press from uh, search engine or big tech companies and Uh, if you would like to have also that they are earning money with their business model uh, somehow. Yes, you can say it might be old, but who else is collecting information from all over the world and putting this together? Google also is not doing this. They are just using the structure of others and just informing others again. Yes, it's um, now a better distribution channel, probably, worldwide. But again, if you are making a business model out of it, we are not talking about search engines who are looking for articles and so on, but if you are creating a business model where you are don't have to go again to the websites of the press publisher, then this is a kind of an interference of these. You uh, can click on it, or you, and, and you don't have to uh, go to the other website, and you're just reading these, or if the snippet is already ex- exploring the whole article somehow, then um, it doesn't make sense uh, that you will go to the websites of. You will never click on the link if the snippet is already no, giving no, you a good. No, that's why. That's why we don't want to have snippets like this already in place. And if the um, aggregators now are coming to a situation and making a business model out of it and just putting together uh, different uh, publishers, uh, or, uh, newspapers, and articles on and on and on, and so there's no need any longer to go to their websites and then of course they will lose grounds and nobody is paying them for using the article and this is what I would consider is not the right uh, form in coming forward if they are using the article then they should also pay and by the way and this might be an additional point the private use of an article is absolutely not affected by these. So that's why link text is the totally wrong impression, it's a very wonderful buzzword to uh, bring up all these uh, criticism and and so but if you're looking uh, concretely to the text private use is totally not affected. And if you're uploading article privately on one of these platforms, then even the platform doesn't have to um, license. This might not pose such a big problem
1: for large publishers, but some of the criticism out there points to the smaller, less-known publishers. Mm-hmm. That rely on these kind of platforms to be known by potential readers? So let's say entrepreneurs who would not be so well-known if they were not shown up when you tap something on a search bar. How can we make sure that they do not get a disproportionate burden out of such an
2: article? hmm um that's uh, s- somehow difficult um but uh, we don't have these obligations so far um, even without this reform um so if the press publishers are using this right what we would like to give them and it's only a right what we are giving them. It doesn't mean that this is an obligation to use uh, but they can use it and they should use it very wise. Um, so what we have seen in Spain and in, in uh, Germany so far have, where this right is kind of implemented already, it's not working properly so it, it can be improved. But this can be only improved by the own behavior of the press publishers. Um, Regarding small press publishers, there might be still a kind of an idea that we are giving them a kind of uh, equal treatment or whatever, so to make sure. um, It's not in the text right now. I know there there is one of these uh, critics um, or criticism already in in place, but then uh, we can um think with the Commission and the Council now in coming forward, how we can make sure that this is used also in a way that small publishers are, will be still survive uh, this development. Um, so far, if we are continuing without a reform, then it's quite obvious that small publishers won't survive. Because that would be actually very damaging for any democracy,
1: because if you're thinking, if we're thinking about a free press, where you have a plurality of opinions, if we somehow kill the smaller publishers, Mm -hmm. that would actually limit this and perhaps take us closer to a monopoly of the press, Mm -hmm. where the larger publishers are able to withstand any backlashes from the tech industry, but the smaller ones can't, Mm -hmm. and then they die off.
2: No, no. Yes, this nobody would like um, to see them dying, uh, the, the smaller publishers. But we have to find a way that they will be treated in a equal way, like uh, the big ones, and that they have their opportunities. But if we are continuing the situation, what we have now without this reform, this is totally not a guarantee. And so far, I would say this is more leading into a situation where we will. Make miss them anyway. I have these examples in my region. There's a totally unbalanced situation so far and then they will be sold to someone who is bigger and they are growing and growing and this is something what we don't like. We want this plurality in news and in the press and this is also a kind of a guarantee for democratic uh, structure what we are living in.
0: I wanted to ask because you mentioned before that indeed there have been attempts at uh, doing a directive like this before and you mentioned Spain and Germany. Is there something fundamentally different about this directive compared to the previous experiments or attempts that we've had before?
2: Um, The risk is still there that they are failing if they are not using this right. Um, This means for me they should build up a kind of a one-line towards the uh, platforms. You can't um, single out one publisher who is saying, oh, I give this all for free and all the others um, will be delisted. Uh, So this can't be the solution at the end. Again, the publishers community uh, should think about how to react if we can um, install a right for them. They should use it in a wise way.
1: What happened in Spain is that Google News just stopped operating in Spain. And this is just one example of many platforms that are out there. But Mm -hmm. Google News was very telling because Spain made it obligatory for Google News to pay all the publishers a certain share of the profits that they were making. And then Google News just decided to shut down in Spain. Is this something that we could see happening in the EU as a whole?
2: Um, so it, it depends on the decision of, of Google then how to react on a ride like this. This wouldn't be a wise policy of uh, Google, and this is what we are we are convinced that Google um, can't really have or would like to create a situation like this, that you are leaving out a whole continent of press and then are serving us with China Daily or Russia Today. And um, I I think this is not the way forward. What we are asking for is just a fair remuneration. Even if they are considering this is a kind of a free-of-use business model, no, they are attracting people to their site, they are attracting them also, because of the advertisement, etc., traffic for remuneration, and therefore we are asking them to be fair and pay something also, or to remunerate to the publishers. This is all what we are really intending. So it's Already a pity that they are not coming to the same idea freely or voluntarily <laughs> in, in saying, Oh, yes, we have to pay here something for this because we are somehow dependent on these. We, we, we should know some news also from the other side of the world. And the press publishers are sending there someone to these, um, areas and getting information out of if it. It's not Google or not the platform who's doing this. And that's why we are asking, please remunerate FAIR. This is all the intention of this reform.
0: Yeah, I think that the, the most commonly referred platforms in this context are, of course, Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, even YouTube – And what those platforms have in common is that they've almost become synonymous with the Internet. People go straight to those platforms to look for information. So is there not a risk that those platforms would now stop being free and they would indeed charge users to use the platforms to search for information so that they can uh, then remunerate all of the publishers? I mean, maybe this could be a good thing, you know, people actually paying for the content that they're using uh, but then others would argue, well, that's a fundamental principle so far that the mm-hmm. almost having free access to the internet and all of these tools is almost like a human right. So, is how has this been discussed in the preparation of this directive and within the parliament and with the
2: stakeholders? Um, So uh, theoretically I think there might be a risk of uh, asking also for remuneration then for the users, but um, in in practical terms I I don't think that uh, Google is now going to ask for um, money if, if they are using their services they will create a business model but it's still free and they will get their share also for what they are creating and if this is not working then the publishers might have the chance to build their own platform uh, in this regard. So it's, it doesn't has to be Google. It doesn't has to be Facebook. It doesn't has to be one of these big tech uh, companies. But again, the. Press publishers should be also very creative on this if this is not working or creating their own um, offer for the internet and, and asking them probably or attracting also advertisement or traffic uh, on their platform at that stage. then. Mr. Voss, tell us
1: about Article 13 and why we probably should not call it the upload filter or the censorship machine, as it has been dubbed by some critics. Mm -hmm.
2: So, what we have created before the summer break um, was a kind of a balanced approach where we said, oh yes, there might be a necessity for detecting copyright-protected works. But this should be based only on the information of the right holders. So the right holders should send the metadata of their protected works to the platform and then they might detect what is protected or not protected. Or even if they have license that they can detect, oh, this is license, I can let that upload and uh, and this uh, is not licensed and then I have to take it down or to block it or whatever I would say this is different than a kind of a censorship machine what will look to every detail in every upload and even if it's not necessary again if you would like to avoid copyright infringements you have to have something in place. And that something might actually be a filter. Yeah, I would like to say more it's a content ID system and not a filter in, in this regard, because it's based on this information of copyright holders. And so if you're looking to the audiovisual industry, so the movies or the audiobooks industry, they don't want at all, and it's their property and it's their right to say, I don't want to see this uploaded. And if you have a business model in place where you are motivating your users and saying you can upload whatever you want, then of course it might come to the, or lead to the situation that these protected works might be also be uploaded. For the music industry probably it's not that important that is not uploaded, but it's important that they will get a fair remuneration. And this leads to a situation where you at the end might have something in place what might detect copyright protected works. But this is not a kind of a filter. We have, or we will come to this practical problem that if you have a kind of a remix or you're having a tape in the background with music or something what you would like to upload and there is the music what might be copyright protected and then again it might be blocked or so, yes, this is a practical problem but if platforms are licensing then they don't have to filter or they don't have to have this in place. One of the very
1: tricky questions about copyright, especially when it concerns texts or printed publications, is that to a certain extent it is context-specific. So a certain piece of text in one context might be considered to be uh, copyrighted, but in a different context it might not, such as the case of memes, Mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. And uh, one Concern out there is that any kind of identification system that is put in place might make mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it might actually mistake uh, something that is not protected for something that is, and then it will automatically block it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: even before it is put online. And at the rate that material is uploaded in today's world, that will probably amount to millions of false positives. hmm And this idea might also be very, very expensive to implement by smaller platforms. So how do we make sure that this, again, is not throwing out of balance the level playing field?
2: Um, First of all, I think we have to give up the idea that everyone will be 100%. So we won't have 100%. Percent detection or identification of copyright protected works. We won't have a situation for platforms that they can have 100% uh, of, of their content. And we have also the users um, who are uploading something, they can't expect any longer that this might be hundred percent perfect now of course we have to find a way where we can balance all these interests in in a legal text and it it seems sometimes it's impossible to solve these question but um, if you're coming from a legal side what I'm doing more than less because of my background the legitimacy of a meme has nothing to do with article 13 so the legitimacy of a meme is under falling the normal copyright law what we have already in place. Article 13 is not changing these at all. It's just the practical question how can we make sure that this authorized meme might be uploaded also to the platform and, and will go through this identification system. And this is a kind of a technical problem. And therefore, yes, there might be some ideas in coming up and saying, oh, yes, probably we should have something in place what gives for one minute or so films or movies are free or so. But this is not what we have now in the text because I haven't had a majority for this idea. What we have now in place in, from the European Parliament is to avoid now the situation of identification systems of uh, content ID or whatever and uh, just finding out what is practical possible in a dialog between the right holders and the um, platforms and also there might be also the users then involved with these exceptions etc and uh, this is what we would like now as an European Parliament, to initiate this dialogue to come to a practical result, balancing and having in mind all the fundamental rights of the users, of the platforms, of the right holders, and knowing this might not be perfect in the end, but it might be a way to enforce also this copyright in a digital world.
0: Okay, so it seems to me that this directive is actually turning something on its head, which has been the case for as long as we've had copyright. It's that the individual is responsible for copyright infringement. So it's up to you, the user, in the context of this platform. You're the one who is liable if you are infringing upon copyright. And now we are shifting that from the user to the platform. And also now in the context of this, filter which indeed is not a filter but it means that something is being screened to pull down information which is infringing upon copyright or uploads that are infringing upon copyrights I wanted to ask you concretely Is this scanning the uploads before they're actually uploaded or pulling down things that are infringing upon copyright? Because if it's screening the uploads before, then it's almost like the user is being screened for violating the law beforehand, almost like we have in the movie Minority Report where they have this futuristic technology where they can prevent crime rather than deal with crime once it has happened. I mean, how do you foresee this filter actually functioning in practice?
2: So, of course, it would be idle, an idle situation if we can prevent copyright infringements from the beginning. If you would like to have this differently, then it would mean, yes, we are accepting copyright infringements for the first upload. But then again, you're coming to a situation for, for the second upload. You have to use some of these identification systems. And uh, then at the end, I would say it doesn't make really a kind of a difference if you're using this for the first time or the second time, and it, it's not helpful in the discussion at the end. I, I think it, we we need a practical way and having in mind also these fundamental rights for everyone. And yes, you're you're totally right, and it's, it's important also to mention that this is the first piece of legislation that we are taking away the liability of the single user and putting these on the platforms that they are liable for the infringements the user is uploading these. And this might be um, justified also with the situation that the platforms are inviting all the users in uploading content and they are earning the money and and, uh, getting these uh, shares for this and that's why I would consider it's uh, really a good idea in freeing the individual user um, for this uploading Um, minority report um, I would say to avoid also crime in the beginning so if you're asking me as a lawyer this is totally different now because mm-hmm. the right is already there and and you, you can't or you you can see already this will be infringed if the upload is coming and and with criminal law so this is a little (laughs) bit different of course everyone is uh, or shouldn't be judged uh, before something has happened Um, but you are referring to these identification issues but we are trying to narrow this down that the use of is is only for detecting copyright infringements
0: just because you are mentioning the user and the rights of the user and uh, putting the user perspective at the center of this legislation. Now GDPR is something that we've been discussing quite a lot also here in the Brussels bubble at least. I, I barely understand it still, I've tried, but it's uh, it's complex, but it, it's putting back the rights in the in the hand of the users and, and those that own their own uh, personal information. Now I'm just wondering if these platforms need to develop the technology that will be required to then uh, follow up this directive is there a risk that they would be outsourcing those development to third parties so now the user is being screened by a third party without their knowledge or is this something that has been discussed
2: no this hasn't been discussed um And again, what what we are trying to do is just to avoid copyright infringements and nothing else. And this has to be very clear that what we are doing here with these content ID or identification systems is only to detect copyright infringements and to avoid and um, nothing else. So even if a third party is doing this for some platforms, um, then they are also only allowed to do this in in this objective and uh, once again of course you have to have in mind that not every platform will be affected by this reform because we try to have this definition in article 2 where we are concentrating only on business models who have a significant amount of copyright-protected works and they are creating a business model out of it in communicating this to the public. And well knowing that this normally means I have to pay something for the right holder. You have mentioned these technical
1: challenges that will need to be addressed. They, however, will have very tangible and concrete implications in the way the internet operates today. I remember reading this letter signed amongst other people by Tim Berners-Lee, an address to the parliament saying that if this directive had been in place when the key protocols of the internet were being developed then the World Wide Web as we know it today would not be operating in that way. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that to a certain extent, this has been discussed at length between the publishers and the tech industry. But I would like to know from your perspective, how is this directive benefiting the creators themselves and how does it trickle down to benefit European
2: citizens on their daily lives? First if we are looking to article 11 we are giving the press publishers a right to be fair remunerated for the publisher itself and a share for the journalist so they should benefit from this uh, regulation right and um, if, if you're looking to the article 13 they should also benefit if they are getting money back for the content they created and is seen on their platforms and uh, therefore again they should be a kind of a license mechanism or an agreement or whatever it is in uh, also fair remuneration and also of course we are protecting here more of trying to bring them on a better eye level with these platforms Um, if you are looking to article 14, minus 14 A it's so called uh, right now we are asking for a general fair remuneration for copyright protected works and this affects all journalists, authors, performers singers, songwriters and everyone who is creating something what you define as a content itself and then they have the right to get a fair remuneration, and this is the idea behind. Um, because so the um, European Union has so far let developed the platforms with the so-called e-commerce directive. In from two thousand, they created a situation where we said our oh, platforms are only delivering the f- infrastructure. And they are not liable at all for what the content might be. But after 18 years, 20 years or so, we are seeing now massive copyright infringements and there we have to do on the other side something. And um, this creates now problems because we are accustomed to a kind of a totally free internet and using everything what we would like to use. But now we have to come back to a situation where rights of others are respected somehow. And that's why we we are trying to implement these.
0: So maybe the best scenario that will happen is that this will push the platforms to come up with new solutions that can benefit the publishers and them as well. And now you're just forcing them to sort of innovate and think outside the box so that they can coexist with the publishers and content creators without there being
2: winners and losers online. It would be a kind of a perfect world if we have the one who are creating the content and have a distribution channel worldwide via these platforms. But it has to be a kind of a fair situation, what you ever might understand um, regarding fair, but uh, this is then something the courts have to decide if this fair or not, and uh, this is already um, also judged on copyright cases. This is all what we intend to do bringing them back to a situation where they probably can deal with each other in a proper way and everyone can be satisfied.
1: Now, when we talk about the internet, the internet is a thing that hardly knows any borders. Is there Mm -hmm. any hope in the European Parliament or the European institutions that this piece of legislation will shape the way the internet is regulated or the way that copyright? Uh, law is understood in other
2: parts of the world? Um, I know some parts of the world are looking very intensively to what we are doing here. And also now we have all the intention of the CEOs of the tech companies, what we are doing here. And I hope this can be kind of a game changer in dealing with other industries with other parts and not just pushing away where you can see you can get out of money of of, uh, these business models is also a question how to be fairly treated by each other.
1: Can we confidently say then that we managed to save the meme?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So the legitimacy of a meme is totally not affected. The only question what we have is how being practical, um, detecting this meme and then saying, oh, this is an exception, this can go through. But I think, yes, we can say the meme is protected.
1: With that in mind, I think we can wrap up. Mr. Voss, thank you so much for your time and for being uh, willing to give us this interview. We will surely be looking forward to the outcome of the trilateral negotiations that are now in place because, if I'm not mistaken, the final piece of legislation will be voted by the parliament in January next year.
2: Probably it will be February. So in, in January we will go to the committee and in February we will go then to plenary if we achieve an um, agreement at mid of December.
1: You can be confident that the whole world will be watching that. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank we you. will be too. Yeah,
2: you're very welcome. Thanks.
1: If you like the content of this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button.
0: If you enjoy listening to EU Untangled, the best way to help it grow bigger, better and greater is by sharing it with your friends and leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
1: For constant updates, you can also follow EU Untangled on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.
0: And make sure you check out our awesome website, podworld.org slash untangled.
1: You'll find tons of interesting information in the show notes and a lot of cool links.
0: And maybe even some memes, now that we know they're not endangered.
1: See you next time.